can't even agree on that. It's Yanny. It's Laurel. It's obviously Yanny. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. Yanny. I got the feeling that something right. Laurel. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me. Jokers to the right. Here I am stuck in the middle with you. Yep. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK, 90.7 FM in LA, 98.7 FM in Santa Barbara, 93.7 in San Diego, 99.5 in Ridgecrest and Channel Lake, California, up in Oregon on 91.7 KYAQ on the Central Coast and Queso in Cottage Grove, in Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, in Maui, Hawaii on KAKU, In Columbus, Ohio on WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP, Grand Rapids, Michigan's WPRR, New Orleans, WHIV, Gallup, New Mexico's KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ, Seattle, Washington's KODX, Red Bluff and Redding, California's KFOI, Round Mountain, California's KKRN, and Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM950, KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe every day on the internets for your listening pleasure on the Progressive Voices channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR, Revolution 99, Workforce Rising, and Detour Talk, Blanketing Planet Earth five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, all-around swell fellow, says me from Brad Blog. Dot com. Thank you very much for joining us today. I should say five days a week when I'm not under the uh, Novocaine in the dental <laughs> chair. My thanks to Angie Coiro for filling in for us late last week as I uh, underwent some uh, minor oral surgery. Suffice to say, I now weigh a tiny bit less. <laughs> so there's that. Although I do have a bit less wisdom. Not that I had much to spare in the first place, uh, but uh, after a few days recuperating, I'm feeling much better and I'm able to start yelling about uh, things all over again without pain. So uh, thank you very much, Angie. And thanks, of course, to Desi Doyen. Hello, Desi. Hey. Uh, Well, we've got primary elections coming up um, on Tuesday in Arkansas, in Kentucky, in Georgia, where they still vote on 100 percent unverifiable touchscreens across the entire state. And in Texas, where many counties also vote 100 percent unverifiably, I should add, and where more than 30 races in which no candidate drew more than 50 percent of the vote in the state In the March primaries on both the Republican and Democratic side, they will um, be voting again on Tuesday in Texas to uh, in those runoffs. They'll see the top two vote getters in those party primaries compete in uh, in the runoff on Tuesday to run against the other party this November. And uh, you may recall before um, that uh, that March uh, 6th primary in Texas, we covered it at the time. The National Democrats, uh, their U.S. House campaign arm, the Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee, the DCCC, uh, they went hard after former writer and progressive activist Laura Moser uh, earlier this year in one of those House races, p- 
publicly blasting her for her past writings that they argued would disqualify her for uh, in this key race this November. Uh, should she become the party's nominee to uh, run in the House against uh, what's his name? Uh, Jim Culbert, John Culbertson in uh, in Texas. Um, she had written that in one of her pieces that she would rather have my teeth pulled out with anesthesia without anesthesia than live in her grandparents hometown of Paris, Texas a few hundred miles away from the Houston area district where she's running. And the DCCC said that this disqualified her, that people in Houston won't vote for her this November. Because of that, uh, the DTRIP misrepresented her comment as if she was complaining about living in Texas at all, uh, rather than in a very rural area that she had been referring to. And when we're we're talking rural, I'm from Texas, that's very rural. Paris, Texas, very rural. Yeah, well, she's nonetheless, those attacks by the National Party at the time apparently backfired because it was I think there was five or six different Democrats uh, running in that primary in March. Uh, But it brought a huge fundraising surge for Laura Moser and it elevated her in the primary field and may have helped her uh, win that or at least come in uh, second, I think, against the more centrist attorney. Uh, Democrat Lizzie Fletcher, who's running in that race against Moser on Tuesday, Uh, former Harris County Democratic chair Lane Lewis, who backed a a completely different candidate in the first round of voting, now supports Fletcher. She told TPM that if the DCCC had not given Moser that bump, I guess accidentally, uh, Lane Lewis didn't think she would have made it into the runoff at all. But now she is. That's just one of the races we'll be watching in Texas Uh, On Tuesday night, as the uh, battle between the establishment and the more progressive wings of the Democratic Party plays out in these primary contests, Um, another late breaking factor in that race on uh, on Tuesday is Friday's school shooting in nearby Santa Fe. Uh, While the tragedy happened on the other side of Houston, and both of the Democratic candidates strongly support more gun law reform. It further complicates both candidates' attempts to break through in a media market where it's already very difficult to get voters enthused about a runoff election. Hard enough to get them out for the primary, much less for the runoff. Um, Fletcher's campaign manager uh, said on Friday that both candidates have been talking about gun safety this entire race. Not so much the Republican candidate. Moser's reaction to the shooting on Friday showed the differences in the styles between the two uh, Democratic candidates. She said, I am effing angry that this stuff keeps happening, though she did not use the word effing uh, before she went on to rip the Republican Culberson for opposing any and all gun safety measures as a congressman. And uh, just a little bit more, uh, we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about that Santa Fe shooting in a bit, uh, but a little bit more election-related news here for the moment. The far-right ex-con, former coal baron Don Blankenship, he is not yet done annoying the GOP, apparently. He announced on Monday morning that he plans to run as the Constitution Party's nominee for the U.S. Senate in West Virginia, That after losing his uh, primary bid to become the Republican Senate candidate in West Virginia about two weeks ago, that move, if he's allowed on the ballot, could further damage the Republican Party's chance of defeating 
Democratic Senator Joe Manchin. That's if Blankenship is able to actually get on the ballot under the constitutional uh, Constitution Party. Uh, that's a big if. West Virginia has a sore loser law that would prevent candidates who lose primaries for a race to switch parties and then run again in the general election for the same seat. Blankenship's announcement came after weeks of complaints about his uh, treatment in the West Virginia GOP primary two weeks ago. He finished third place in that race, lost to uh, West Virginia Attorney General Patrick Morrissey, who styles himself as a mirror of Donald Trump. If Blankenship is allowed on the ballot, he could cost Morrissey votes this fall, votes from the right and and help Manchin stay in office, boosting uh, the Democrats' chance of uh, getting power back, uh, getting the majority back in the U.S. Senate uh, and uh, robbing Republicans in the bargain of what they feel is one of their best pickup chances this fall against the, um, well, they call him centrist, but he's pretty right wing uh, Democratic Senator Joe Manchin. Uh, But getting on the ballot will not be easy. It won't be impossible, says uh, Cam Joseph over at TPM. Blankenship remains a very wealthy millionaire despite serving the last year in jail for his part in the safety violations that led to the enormous explosion at one of his coal mines, which killed 29 miners back in 2010. Yep. Uh, and by the way, uh, Blankenship has kept up his attacks against the uh, Republican nominee Morrissey ever since the loss, uh, while further fueling his feud with Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell, Republican of Kentucky, who he calls Cocaine Mitch <laughs> for bizarre reasons. Uh, and Blankenship also now seems to be attacking uh, Donald Trump. Uh, or at least adding him to his enemies list because Trump jumped in at the last minute and said, vote for anyone but Blankenship. And Blankenship had said that he they had his campaign had been assured by the White House, the political staff there, that they would not interfere in the primary election. Blankenship said, obviously, that turned out not to be true. Now that we know the establishment will lie and resort to anything else necessary to defeat me, we are better prepared than before. He declared. So that should be fun. We'll see how that we'll keep our eyes on that. Meanwhile, on Friday, uh, as I was recuperating, it was another bad day for guns in America. Seems like they all are these days. According to CNN, on average, there's been one school shooting a week in the U.S. in uh, 2018 alone. That after uh, 10 were killed and at least another 10 wounded. On Friday, when a 17-year-old student opened fire at Santa Fe High School, southeast of Houston, on Friday. On Sunday night at the nationally broadcast Billboard Music Awards, host Kelly Clarkson, a Texas native, uh, she confronted the recent school shooting there in an emotional opening to the awards ceremony. She called for a moment of action to to replace the usual moment of silence that follows mass shooting tragedies. Before we start tonight's show, there's something I'd like to... This is going to be so hard. There's something I'd like to say about the tragedy Friday at Santa Fe High School. So sorry. I'm a Texas girl, and my home state has had so much heartbreak over this past year. And once again, y'all, we're grieving for more kids that have died for just an absolute no reason at all. And um, tonight they wanted me to say that obviously we want to pray for all the victims, we want to pray for their families, but 
they, they also wanted me to do a moment of silence. And I'm so sick of moment of silence. Like, God, it's not working. Like, obviously. So, sorry. So why don't we, why don't we not do a moment of silence? Why won't we do a moment of action? Why don't we do a moment of change? Why don't we change what's happening? Because it's horrible. And, and mamas and daddies should be able to send their kids to school, to church, to movie theaters, to clubs. You should be able to live your life without that kind of fear. So we need to do better. We need to do better as so people are failing our children, we're failing our communities, we're failing their families. I can't imagine, I have four children, I cannot imagine getting that phone call or that knock on the door. So instead of a moment of silence, I want to respect them and honor them. With tonight, y'all, let's, in your community, where you live, your friends, everybody, let's have a moment of action. Let's have a moment of change. Good for her. Kelly Clarkson at the Billboard Music Awards on uh, on Sunday night. As I said, we'll have more on that shooting and what the hell, if anything, what sort of moment of action we might ever see. We'll be joined by my guest and uh, longtime gun safety activist and columnist uh, Cliff Schechter in, in a few minutes. But the shooting in Texas was not the only gun incident to make headlines on Friday. Uh, though uh, this one, because thankfully nobody died, got much less attention, even though it was at a property owned by Donald Trump on Friday. On Friday morning, a white South African of Italian heritage unfurled an American flag inside a South Florida hotel owned by Donald Trump, then got into a firefight and a chase with police while ranting about Donald Trump and about Barack Obama. And oddly enough, rap mogul P. Diddy, according to law enforcement, most of the reports that I saw on Friday had the gunman ranting about Trump. Uh, but uh, he, he seems to have had a, a, a beef with Obama as well, according to the follow up reports after this bizarre incident at the Trump National Doral uh, Miami Resort. The gunman, 42 year old Jonathan Odie, became uh, a U.S. citizen less than a year ago. He suffered police gunshots to his leg. Um, his numerous online public postings provide a few clues to his motive uh, for this incident on Friday and what the Miami Herald describes as mixed political leanings. On Instagram, they note he posted a meme from Turning Point USA, which is a right wing group. Uh, that meme contrasts a U.S. soldier with NFL quarterback Colin Kaepernick, who had knelt during the national anthem to protest police brutality. He wrote in uh, Odie wrote in his October 26 post with this uh, photograph on Instagram that Colin worries he doesn't have an NFL career and kneels for popularity. A look at his private Instagram account reveals scores of posts of, of news stories, uh, among them uh, about federal authorities pushing the death penalty for opioid dealers, the downfall of movie mogul Harvey Weinstein, Weinstein that doesn't sound too mixed to me. Most of those things are regular Fox News tropes. Um, this uh, guy also allegedly uh, fawned over First Lady Melania Trump, according to the paper said she sets the example of mannerism. She counters Trump's aggressiveness in one of the posts in which he featured Melania Trump smiling in the White House. Another post shows a Time magazine cover depicting Trump for a story about his troubles with porn star Stormy Daniels. And uh, the guy wrote, reality is harsh. But in another post, Odie blasts the U.S. for 
giving $10.5 million every day to Israel. He adds, they have free health care and college, but we don't because we can't afford it. Odie was moved from the hospital over the weekend to the county jail, and he was booked on multiple charges on Sunday night. According to police, he fired at a chandelier before exchanging gunfire with officers who shot him in the legs, took him into custody. During a court hearing Monday morning, he was ordered to uh, remain in custody without bond during the brief hearing held via closed-circuit TV from a Miami jail. He kept trying to talk over his court-appointed lawyer when the attorney disputed if cops had probable cause to show that he had set off a fire alarm inside the hotel. That was one of the things he was blamed for. Uh, Odie blurted out, I did push the alarm. Oh, well, okay. That didn't help. Well, uh, in it, his case, it, he's being helpful and not helpful to himself, though. <laughs> yeah, he is uh, charged with multiple counts of attempted second degree murder of law enforcement officers, armed burglary, aggravated assault with a firearm, criminal mischief, armed grand theft and pulling a firearm. Um, detectives are still trying to figure out what drove him to attack the Doral Hotel, which was purchased by the Trump organization back in 2012. Sounds to me like he was. Kind of brain-addled, frankly, from the flood of news coming in uh, from whatever source he was receiving it. And uh, on that topic, remember the Las Vegas massacre last October left 58 dead, more than, 100, uh, more than 800 wounded uh, when a shooter opened fire from his suite in the, on the 32nd floor of the Mandalay Bay Casino on, on country music goers below, uh, concert goers. Uh, down on the strip. Well, authorities said that they never determined a motive for the killing, but last week they released a series of interviews with various eyewitnesses, um, or, or I should say witnesses of various types, uh, that seems to tell more of a story than authorities have been willing to discuss out loud for some reason. Um, the uh, BuzzFeed News reports, Jim, this is Jim Dalrymple over there, says just weeks before Stephen Paddock killed 58 people on the Vegas Strip, witnesses says he went on an anti-government tirade and said, quote, somebody has to wake up the American public and get them to arm themselves. Sometimes, Paddock added, sacrifices have to be made. Those comments are included in a trove of witness statements that the Las Vegas Police Department finally released last week, including hundreds of witness accounts of the October 1 shooting at the outdoor concert. The newly released witness statements portray Paddock as a, quote, odd man who was interested in guns and angry at the government. Comment about sacrifices was made in the weeks before the shooting when Paddock met a man in the parking lot of a Las Vegas Bass Pro Shop. The uh, w this particular witness told detectives back in October Paddock had answered the man's ad for schematics for a device that allows a semi-automatic rifle uh, assault rifle to be to fire like a fully automatic rifle, a machine gun. Uh, during the interaction, the man said that Paddock repeatedly criticized the government and kept carrying on about uh, anti-government stuff, FEMA camps, he said. Uh, according to this witness, he said uh, that uh, that was just a dry run for law enforcement and military to start kicking down doors and confiscating guns. 
The man told the detective, adding later that Paddock was kind of fanatical about this stuff. It's interesting that we're only hearing about this now, all of these months later. Yeah, I, I found that very, very disturbing that the uh, that the federal authorities kept saying, well, we have no idea what his motive might possibly be. And then all these interviews point to a pretty strong anti-government radicalization kind of seems yeah this man uh said he refused to to make these devices for paddock uh because he was kind of freaked out by him good uh he he later said i just remember the guy being so damn fanatical and getting kind of pissed at me because i wasn't you know doing what he wanted Detectives also collected a statement from a woman who over who uh, overheard what she believed was a conversation between Paddock and another man about deadly standoffs with the federal agents in Waco, Texas and in Ruby Ridge, Idaho. All incidents that have long been cited by anti-government right wingers, so-called sovereign citizens and, uh, frankly, Fox News fanatics in this country. The woman reportedly overheard the conversation while she was at a diner in uh, late September, just days before the shooting. And uh, she said in her statement that the men were angry about the uh, standoffs at uh, Waco and Ruby Ridge, about the standoffs, about the Bureau of uh, Alcohol, Tobacco and Firearms, the ATF, and, quote, the federal government in general. She says they kept mentioning the 25th anniversary of Ruby Ridge. She says she did not hear them planning anything, but they were speaking of things that struck me as odd. So still more evidence that the greatest threats we face are not from Muslims and Hispanic immigrants, as uh, Donald Trump and most Republicans continue to tell us, but from radicalized white guys in this country. Yes, often radicalized by Fox News and right-wing talk radio, the very media outlets that Republicans rely on to survive and to stay in power. It seems quite obvious, uh, but for some reason, you know, that terrorism that these white guys pulled off, uh, pull off all the time, that isn't regarded as anything that we need to do anything about from the right, including folks from the right down in the state of Texas, where they faced yet another massacre on Friday on the heels of the school shooting in Parkland just uh, a month or two ago and at a church in Sutherland Springs, Texas that took the lives of 26 and wounded 20 other worshipers. We will talk about the latest bloodbath at the high school in Texas with Cliff Schechter right after a quick break and what the hell we can do about it. I'm Brad Friedman. This is your broadcast. Hey, this is Brad. If you haven't noticed by now, it's no easy feat finding facts, real facts, not alternative facts, over your public airwaves. We try to bring you real facts, truth, and clarity without fear or favor each and every day on the broadcast. But we need your help to do it. If you enjoy the show and or get something from it, please give back a bit, if you can, by visiting us at bradblog.com donate. Your support helps Desi and me continue to bring you real, independent, progressive news five days a week over your public airwaves. We simply can't do it without your help, and that help is needed more now than ever. Please stop by bradblog.com donate today to make a one-time donation, or even better, automated monthly support. It'll take you about 60 seconds, and you can rest easy knowing that we'll be here every day making sense of it all 
or at least trying to. That's bradblog.com slash donate, and thanks. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. As noted earlier, on average, there has been one school shooting per week so far in the U.S. in 2018. Of course, that doesn't include the shootings in you know virtually everywhere else, in malls, in churches. For example, at the First Baptist Church in rural Sutherland Springs, Texas, about 30 miles east of San Antonio just last November, after which... Elected officials in the Lone Star State did virtually nothing to prevent such actions in the future. And using the word virtually there might be uh, generous at this point. On Friday, when it happened again, another massacre, this time when a 17-year-old opened fire at Santa Fe High School southeast of Houston, killing 10 and wounding another 10, Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton said, It's so sad we have to deal with this again in Texas. We had the Sutherland Springs incident not very long ago and obviously what happened in Florida. And so it's sad, he said. The state's top law enforcement official under indictment for securities fraud still, by the way, if I recall. He added that the more we regulate, the more time we lose and the more people we're going to lose. I would prefer to have people in place to protect our children, not leave it open for someone who's not going to follow a gun law to come in and kill as many children as they want to. What? Igor Volsky uh, at the Center for American Progress responding to Paxton's ridiculous comments noted... Uh, that Texas, which has very few gun regulations, has almost 11 gun deaths per 100,000 people. Compare that to Massachusetts, which has lots of gun regulations. They have about uh, just over three gun deaths per 100,000 people. Volsky adds, but sure, you keep repeating that NRA propaganda, Mr. Paxton. But happily, not all officials in the state of Texas are in the pockets of the NRA and facing down the vast majority of the people on all sides of the political aisle, frankly, who desperately would like to see action on gun safety reform. The head of one of Texas's largest police departments says he has had enough with inaction on gun reform. In the hours after the shooting at Santa Fe High, Houston Police Chief Art Acevedo posted a lengthy explanation on Facebook about gun rights and the need for change. He wrote, I know some have strong feelings about gun rights, but I want you to know I've hit rock bottom and I am not interested in your views as it pertains to this issue. He wrote, I will continue to speak up and will stand up for what my heart and my God commands me to do. And I assure you, he hasn't instructed me to believe that gun rights are bestowed by him. Acevedo added that he'd spent the day dealing with the shooting at Santa Fe High, seeing children die and an officer clinging to life after being shot in the attack and asked people, uh, that uh, that people please not say, quote, anything about guns aren't the problem and there's little we can do. This isn't a time for prayers, he said, and study and inaction. 
He said it's a time for prayers, action, and the asking of God's forgiveness for our inaction, especially the elected officials that ran to the cameras today, acted in a solemn manner, called for prayers, and will once again do absolutely nothing. Texas, of course, is known for its very friendly gun laws, including the right to openly carry handguns. And yes, you are barred from using a state university ID for voting in Texas. But a gun permit works just fine for that, thanks. In fact, that may be good news for a lot of Texas voters, where last year, just before the church shooting in Sutherland Springs, the state lowered the application fees for handgun licenses from $140 to just $40. The law in Texas also allows applicants to take it, uh, take its safety classes online instead of in a classroom. That's convenient. They're allowed in Texas to openly carry shotguns and rifles in most places, uh, with the exception of certain areas where it's expressly forbidden, such as bars and just some schools. Though a campus carry law allows licensed students to carry a concealed weapon on school campuses, during a Sunday appearance on CBS News' Face the Nation, Chief Acevedo reiterated some of his Facebook comments from Friday, slamming lawmakers for ignoring the will of the vast majority of the American people by refusing to pass reasonable gun control legislation, saying that voters should punish them at the ballot box. Now we need to look ahead to see how we can do better next time, because there will be a next time based on the inaction of elected officials across this country. Let me tell you, uh, and, uh, people at the state level and the federal level and too many pl places in our country are not doing anything other than offering prayers. And I think that the American people, gun owners, the vast majority of which are pragmatic and actually support uh, gun sense and, and gun reform in terms of keeping guns in the right hands, we need to start using the ballot box and ballot initiatives to take the matters out of the hands of people that are doing nothing that are elected and into the hands of the people to see uh, that the will of the people in this country is actually carried out. Joining us now to discuss what isn't being done in Texas and elsewhere across the country, what could be done and why this is all happening is our old friend Cliff Schechter. Uh, haven't talked to him in a while. He's founder of Ohioans for Economic Opportunity. He has long been an advocate for passing safe uh, gun safety laws. Uh, he's also the uh, the author of the best-selling 2008 book, The Real McCain, Why Conservatives Don't Trust Him and Why Independents Should. He's a columnist for The Daily Beast, uh, and um, he is now the co-host of the Unprecedented podcast. Oh, Cliff Schechter, welcome back to the broadcast, my friend. Why, thank you, buddy. Always great to be here. Uh, Cliff, we, we talked a little bit in our last segment about the massacre in Las Vegas uh, last year where we have just now learned that the shooter there seemed to be an anti-government fanatic. He, he believed that everyone needed to have uh, guns to protect themselves from law enforcement, apparently. He seemed to be repeating a lot of the old Fox News and right-wing talk radio tropes about Ruby right. Ridge and Waco. Uh, and the guy who opened fire in Trump's Doral Golf Club in South Florida on the same uh, day last Friday, he also seemed to be echoing some right-wing talking points, uh, though that was a little bit less clear. W what do we know about the motives of this 17-year-old student uh, who opened fire, another white guy, by the way, not a Muslim or, or Hispanic, uh, who opened fire at Santa Fe High in Texas on Friday? Do we know anything yet about him? 
Well, yeah, we know. I mean, look, let's just say it's all alleged now, and what we know what we've seen from social media posts, but very right-wing, pro-Trump, uh, neo-Nazi messages, you know, a lot of the same kinds of things you're talking about with the shooter in Las Vegas, with the shooter at, at, in uh, uh, in the school in Parkland, uh, Florida, mm-hmm. the high school. I mean, this is becoming, a you know, a theme, and, and none of this should be surprising. I mean, anyone, you know, we study in, in foreign policy, our, our you know, our, uh, our CIA and FBI and others, you hear, you can hear constantly us talking about how we need to prevent the radicalization you know, of certain populations, how that happens with propaganda and media, you know, and that leads to violence. Well, you know, we have a system in this country where literally, I mean, you can turn on Fox News tonight and what you would see would be insane. I mean, it is conspiratorial. It is crazy. It plays on racial and, and misogynistic themes. Uh, and it's constant. And so what do you get when you've got, and, and obviously that's just the tip of the iceberg, you go online and you get Breitbart, you go, talk radio has been a menace on the right for 30, 40 years now. Mm-hmm. And so you combine all of that, and, you know, with the worldview, they're getting emails from, from the NRA that has a similar worldview and groups like that, and, and then you put weapons in their hands. I mean, some of this stuff happens in Western European countries. The, the, you certainly have these radical right-wing groups like you do here. You've got UKIP the right-wing party in England and in Britain, and you've got, you know, Jean-Marie Le Pen and Marie Le Pen, you know, and, mm-hmm. and um, the Le Pen family and, and mm-hmm. the far right in France, and you can go on and on and on. The key is they don't all have access to guns in those countries, <laughs> and they do here. And, that, and, and that's what we're seeing. We're seeing white men radicalized and then armed, and this is the predictable result of that. I, uh, of course, share your calls for action on guns, <clears throat> at the at the very least allowing Congress and state officials to vote one way or another on a host of reforms, uh, you know, which enjoy huge majority support from Americans. I, I mean, you know, if those elected officials vote against it, that's one thing. But these things aren't even allowed to come up for a vote in places like the U.S. Senate and the U.S. House. Uh, even though, you know, even NRA members call for many of these reforms, even if their their leadership doesn't. But, uh, Cliff, in, in the Santa Fe shooting, this uh, Santa Fe uh, high school shooting, the 17-year-old, he used a revolver, he used a shotgun, not a high-capacity semi-automatic rifle. Uh, so banning sales of, uh, of you know, AR-15s wouldn't have prevented this. He got the guns right. from his dad. So changing the purchase, uh, the minimum you know age for purchase, that wouldn't have had an effect. He, he didn't have a police record or a history of mental problems that we know of. He was a good student. Uh, you know, the school had also, this particular school had taken steps to prevent shootings, and students had done drills for these type of events. So what, if anything, really could have been done to prevent the shooting on Friday or, you know, to prevent similar massacres from happening in the future, in truth? Right. Well, well, I'd start by saying, you know, we already have smart gun technology, um, which the NRA has fought to block. It's been available for a long time now. And with smart gun technology... Literally, it's reading, you know, I mean, you know, my, my phone right now can do facial recognition and let me in my, my iPhone X mm-hmm. by knowing my facial features. Mm-hmm. Um, yet we won't apply any of that kind of technology, whether it's fingerprints, whether it's facial recognition or anything, to our guns. We have, we have this technology. We literally can make it so that only the person who purchases the gun 
uh, would have the ability to use it. So mm-hmm. that's one way this could have been prevented. I would have to see more to know. Mm-hmm. But again, what I like to say to people is I compare it to, to traffic fatalities. You can't prevent everything. You're never going to prevent everything. There still is a one shooting or two a year in Canada, you know, and, and with in these, these types of situations. I mean, and they've got much more stringent gun control. And the key here is when you look at a public health crisis, crisis, be it smoking or, you know, traffic fatalities, you say, what are the various ways, you know, through regulations, policy, mm-hmm. cultural change, you know, shaming and the rest that we can that we can get to a place where people take this more seriously because people forget that in the 1960s and 70s, drunk driving was something that people laughed about. Dean Martin, we got to make jokes about crashing, you know, being drunk mm. and crashing uh, on the way to his doing his comedy skit. I mean, it was just the funniest thing in the world. And then we decided that it wasn't acceptable that innocent people were dying, and we've taken traffic fatality down by what 60 percent or so since then. Now, how have we done that? It's no one thing that's done it. We, we've made it more difficult for people to get licenses. You have to actually pass tests and prove you know things. You, you, uh, you can't drink and drive. We hold bartenders accountable if they serve you and they know that you're drunk. We have these, we have these you know, highway stop, stops where the police stop people to check and make sure that they're not drunk. We, I mean, we, we sort of instituted, you know, we raised the drinking age. We instituted all these various practices uh, to, to get at the, the changing a cultural behavior from various different angles. And all of that combined to, to lower uh, the, the rate of death and really for huge public health improvements. And that's what we would do here. Assault weapons banning them will not stop everyone, but it would stop a lot of these. Uh, making somebody have to, to go through a background check and, frankly, get a license and registration for a handgun wouldn't stop everything either, but it would stop a lot of these. And if I go through most of these sort of mass shootings, because those are the ones that are the most famous, not the sort of everyday shootings that are a tragedy, too, but if I just go through the mass shootings, most of them could have been prevented by something. And you know what? Some of them will still happen. Um, but, we, you know, when you look at what states have done that have made their laws more stringent, since Connecticut uh, passed their background check law, you know, over the, the however last dozen or so years, I mean, they've seen a decline by about 50 percent, 50 percent in gun violence. Mm-hmm. Now, really stringent background checks would be the first thing, and that could do it. We require a background check for almost everything else we do in society. You know, I mean, I have a hard time getting cold medicine without showing a couple forms of ID, lest they think I'm going to open a meth lab. But I could go show up at a, you know, right down the road from me, I'd go to a gun show and get, and get an assault weapon, you know, almost no questions asked. Yeah. That's ridiculous. That, that, that makes no sense. Is there any, uh, Cliff, I know, and, and by the way, we should note, you were, I think, you used to be a competitive shooter in high school. Am I right I about was, that? I was, yeah. You were correct. Yeah. I remembered. Uh, <laughs> so I don't just hate guns. I yeah. actually know my way around them. And, and, and frankly, shooting competitively, I enjoyed, and I haven't done it in a while, but I still would. If I got to, so it's not the, my, the act of shooting. I, you know, they. It, I just I feel like I have to say this only because of the stereotype the right throws out there. Right. That everybody on the left who doesn't want children to be massacred in their schools or people to be massacred in movie theaters suddenly hates guns. I hate bad people with guns, and we should do everything we can to stop the, those people from getting them, and for anybody from having the ability to wipe out an entire room with with one you know with one gun. Yep. I think that's a really legitimate thing to ask. The uh, Houston, I thought uh, I wanted to share that uh, those comments from uh, the Houston sheriff there. He's called for initiatives at the ballot box, uh, you know, voting people out who don't take action and and, you know, to see ballot measures for the the people to take action here, since apparently the 
elected officials won't in states like Texas. Is there is there anything that could be done in places like Texas with, you know, the particular lawmakers that we have that would not be opposed by the what I call the terrorist enabling NRA? Uh, or is there just at this point no choice but to just vote those people out and replace them with someone else? Well, I should have looked before talking to you, uh, and I must admit I did not, whether Texas is one of the about 24 states that allow ballot measures. Mm-hmm. Um, in those states, because I worked on one in Washington State, where so you had the, 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 you had a Democratic governor who was progressive, a progressive state house, and at the time, they switched in the off-year elections where the, Dem- the Democrats con- took control of the state Senate, but the Republicans had a one-seat majority in the state Senate. And they would not allow a vote. So we could not get a universal background check bill in Washington, even though it was overwhelmingly supported. So I worked on that. We got it on the ballot, and it won with, you know, I, I think it was close to 65%, 70% support. Mm-hmm. And that's of the right spending a lot of money to try to lie about what it would do and put up a competing measure to fool people. Um, so, I mean, this is one way to do it. Nevada also passed background checks that way. Um, you know, you, you, that, I think that is, he is exactly right, and I would say his voice is a welcome voice. It's so great to have somebody... You know, to, to, to see him like others who've just had enough. You know, mm-hmm. the CEO of Disney came out and made a statement. And again, you know, the, the, when you, the, it's those kinds of changes where culturally you feel like things are moving and we're going to get there. And I would say, you know, the, I'm seeing people register to vote around this issue. I'm seeing kids do it since, since the, you know, the shooting in Florida in Parkland. It's been incredible to watch. I do think that that you know there, that a lot of people who are wrong on this issue will lose their seats, and I do think that's a very important way to vote them out. But we should also look at the model again of what's happened in Nevada and what's happened, um, you know, in in Washington, and and say you know in states where there are ballot measures allowed, we should be putting these measures uh, on the ballot because they're so overwhelmingly supported by people that we can get a number of them as we already have passed that way. I, I think and then I'd look at, it at various other methods of getting this done, too. Th- there's, uh, it, it should be noted here, you know, a lot of folks have been uh, citing the uh, Trump administration and, and the GOP Congress's attacks uh, on the FBI and the DOJ uh, in regard to the uh, special, uh, special counsel Robert Mueller's probe, you know, as evidence of hypocrisy. Uh, that oh, they used to be in favor of law enforcement. Now they're attacking the FBI. Well, uh, you know, in fact, this hypocrisy, it seems to me, has been evident for years. Uh, isn't most law enforcement, Cliff, already long on the record in favor of gun safety legislation that Republicans have long opposed? I mean, isn't that going against the, uh, uh, you know, going against the, the law enforcement when they yeah, make those claims? Yeah, but the exception... Exception of some rural sheriffs who always are loudmouths in this. I think often almost to, to you know build their own quote unquote brand. Mm-hmm. Big city, you know, uh, police groups and other groups have always been in favor of, of reforming our gun laws. The difference here is that you, you pointed out Art Acevedo. You, we haven't had as many people come out and speak as strongly and eloquently in a way where he just said, "I'm not listening anymore to this ridiculous argument." I mean, you could see how he was he was emotionally affected by this mm-hmm. but you're right and look the nra was an early adopter to the to the sort of uh, you know radical right strategy that we saw in nevada with the bundy family and we've seen her you know of, of attacking the government in vicious you know terms because they had to go after the atf because of the atf uh, you know alcohol tobacco and firearms were allowed to do their job as a government organization you'd have a, the, the nra would lose money because of all big part of the nra's 
business model is illegally selling guns. Yep. And they, that's why they don't want background checks because they make lots of money and their dealers make lots of money off of this. So, so that, so that has to be kept in mind, which is they've always had this hypocrisy. It really has always just been like it is with everything else. They're for family values, except for when it's their own people, right? If it's Bill Clinton, oh my God. But if it's Donald Trump, right. you know, no, no problem. They're, they're for law enforcement when they're going after African Americans in particular. But, but when they break the law, that, you know, then law enforcement is a, is a terrible thing. It's the same thing it's always been on the right. It's complete hypocrisy. It's that there are different rules for everybody else than there are for them. There has, so that's what it is. Yeah, I mean, this has been a long hypocrisy, but, uh, you know, because right-wingers own our public airwaves at this point, these are our public airwaves, and yet, you know, pretty much across the board, what you'll find is, is right-wingers echoing these NRA uh, talking points, these Republican talking points, uh, and they can, you know, say them all they want. They can lie all they want. It would just be nice if there was, you know, an answer to that over those same public airwaves as, uh, right. you know, millions of Americans are driving to and from work every day listening for free to guys like uh, Rush Limbaugh and dozens and dozens of others, whereas guys like you, Cliff Schechter, or me, you know, it's hard to find us on the public airwaves. To that end, I got just a minute or two here, but I want to hit you have your own new podcast. I don't think it's on our public airwaves yet, but it uh, is available for download uh, with with, uh, America Blog's John Aravosis. What's it about? That's right. Well, we called it unprecedented based on that famous statement by Donald Trump where he misspelled unprecedented mm-hmm. as unprecedented, and we thought we could make fun of Trump and point out we'd like to unprecedent him. So <laughs> it's, it, that's the, the main goal, is seeing uh, our country return to sanity, seeing good government come back and transparency uh, and the public good and all those things we actually care about and love, and Trump is the biggest obstacle. And you know, and, But we're also trying to we're inform and educate. We've had everybody from you know, someone like a Jake Tapper to Dan Savage even to David Frum and conservatives. I mean, we've had a number of folks on, uh, and we're going to keep having guests on, and, and hopefully, you know, we do our part to try to educate people and, 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 and move our country in a forward direction. And, so, yet, and yet you have failed to have me on as a guest, Cliff. Thanks. That's a fine well, how you do. Well, you're on the list, uh-huh. but, you know. Yeah, I mean, sure. I will point out it's been two years, might not be. Yeah, uh, since since you've been on this show, it has been two years. We'll try not to make that mistake again. Uh, we'll have you back sooner. Uh, where can we uh, get that? Da- where can we get that uh, podcast? Unprecedented, Mister Schechter. So, you, so people can subscribe to Patreon. You go to www.patreon.com slash unprecedented, and you will find us. Um, and uh, or unprecedented slash sorry slash unprecedented podcast, I should say. And, uh, and, you know, you can come by, and that's the subscription part. On iTunes, you can find us, too. And uh, in there, you know, you'll get a chunk of our show, but to, to, we have a, subscri- uh, a subscription-based model, so you'll, you'll have to subscribe to the whole thing, but only $5 a month, which where Brad is sitting right now, that's like the cost of a latte. So for a latte a month, you can listen to our, to our, our podcast and, and uh, become more informed. How about that? Sounds delicious. That's patreon.com slash unprecedented podcast. You can also find uh, Cliff's column at thedailybeast.com. You can follow him on Twitter at Cliff Schechter. Cliff, always great talking to you, my friend. I will try not to make it another two years before we speak again. Uh, Always great to talk to you, too, buddy. My pleasure. Thank you, brother. Okay, quick break, and we are back with... um, 
Well, the audio clip that made me, as I was sitting in the dental chair waiting for Novocaine last week, that made me kind of want to beg the dentist to just knock me out entirely. <laughs> That's next on the Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman. <laughs> Five major corporations now control more than 80% of the media in the United States, but they don't control us. The Bradcast and the Green News Report are 100% independent, 100% listener-supported. But we can't do it alone. We need you. Please help us bring real facts to listeners at independent stations around the nation. You can make a difference. Support independent media. Drop by bradblog.com donate. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Welcome back to your Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Well, uh, Donald Trump increasingly concerned that his summit meeting in Singapore next month with North Korea's leader could turn into a political embarrassment according to the New York Times. Now he's concerned about <laughs> political embarrassment? About being embarrassed about anything? Anything? Yeah, he has apparently begun pressing his aides, says the Times, and uh, aides and allies about whether he should take the risk of proceeding with this historic meeting that he had leapt into accepting, according to administration and foreign officials. And I've long said, by the way, since this guy, I have always been dubious that this thing is ever going to happen at all. I will still be surprised if it happens. Donald Trump is moving ahead as if it's going to happen. We'll see if it actually happens. In any event, the Times reports that Trump was both surprised and angered by a statement that was issued last week by the North's chief nuclear negotiator who declared the country would never trade away its nuclear weapons capability in exchange for economic aid. On Thursday and Friday, Trump peppered aides with questions about the wisdom of proceeding with the talks. And on Saturday night, apparently, he called South Korean President Moon Jae-in to ask why the North's public statement seemed to contradict the private assurances that Moon had conveyed after he met with uh, Kim Jong-un at the de demilitarized zone in late April. If only someone who knew something about North Korea could have warned him about such things. <sighs> Yes, this is what North Korea does if he had been paying attention. But the fact is, he knows absolutely nothing about it. And that was, well, I'll get to this audio in a minute. Trump's aides have grown concerned uh, about uh, that the president, who said that, quote, everyone thinks he deserves a Nobel Peace Prize oh, dear. already for his effort, uh, that he has uh, signaled that he wants the summit too much. The aides also worry that Kim, sensing the president's eagerness, is prepared to offer assurances that will fade over time. These are just some of the things that we uh, talked about on this show uh, last week. Um, moreover, uh, Trump's decision this month to withdraw from the 2015 Iran nuclear deal, that raises the stakes for North Korea's uh, the negotiations with them. If he emerges with anything less than what President Barack Obama got in the Iran agreement, that agreement included the fact that 97 percent of all the nuclear material in Iran was shipped out of the country. If Trump can't get something that is at least as good as that, 
The Times notes Trump is it will be hard for Trump to convince anyone other than his base who will apparently believe anything that the negotiations were a success. The aides are also concerned about what kind of grasp Trump has on the details of the North Korean program. Which is, again, something that we talked about with uh, Michael Fuchs. Yes, the former uh, assistant deputy secretary of state in the Obama administration. Correct. Uh, you know, the, the, I think I said after that uh, interview was done that, boy, I wish he had Michael Fuchs there to talk to him. Yeah. That I wish that Donald Trump knew as much about the North Korean uh, negotiations as I feel like I do as some, you know, jerk with a radio show. Well, I have a feeling you've put in more uh, time to <sighs> learn about it. Uh, apparently Sadly. so. Yeah. Aides uh, who have recently left the administration say Trump has resisted the kind of detailed briefing about enrichment capabilities, plutonium reprocessing, nuclear weapons production, missile programs, etc., that both President Obama and President George W. Bush apparently regularly sat through. Until now, administration officials have been saying they expect Kim to agree to denuclearization at the uh, Singapore summit scheduled for June. And that would involve turning over some number of nuclear weapons, closing production facilities, allowing inspectors to range throughout the country. But Joseph Yun, the State Department's North Korea coordinator, the expert on North Korea at the State Department until he left just a few months ago, said if Trump is truly expecting to see a handover of nuclear weapons in six months without anything in return, that is very unrealistic, oh. he said. But the biggest glitch in the planned negotiations came about a week ago uh, Sunday when Trump's new national security advisor, John Bolton went on TV and started repeating, repeatedly suggesting. And this guy, by the way, this guy, Bolton is supposed to, you know, have skills at this. He was in the uh, Bush administration. He's supposed to know what the hell he's doing. And yet he went on TV and he kept talking about repeatedly that the U.S. wanted North Korea to follow the Libyan model of 2003, 2004. Now, that was back when Libya uh, gave up its weapons program, its chemical, biological, and nuclear weapons program in exchange for assurances of safety from the U.S. But, of course, uh, the North and Donald Trump, well, the North didn't necessarily hear the part about 2003-2004. Uh, here's how John Oliver on HBO covered the comments uh, on Sunday night. Is it a requirement that Kim Jong-un agree to give away those weapons before uh, you give any kind of concession? I think that's right. I think we're looking at the Libya model of 2003-2004. Yes, the Libya model. Now, that may not sound like much to you, but Bolton bringing up Libya is literally the worst thing he could have said in this situation. It's like if your wife says, do these jeans make me look fat? And you say, I'm f***ing the babysitter. <laughs> anything, anything would be better than that. Yes, anything would be better than that. And Bolton should know better. Uh, in 2011, years after they had given up their weapons program, uh, Libyan leader uh, Muammar Gaddafi was overthrown. He was dragged from a ditch and brutally killed. I'll spare you the details of his death. Yes, thank you. But the North Koreans, uh, they noticed all of this. And when they see Bolton talking about the Libyan model... That was exactly when they started saying, you know what, maybe we're not going to do this uh, the summit meeting after all. Now, 
here's what drove me crazy as I was reading the uh, as I was sitting in the dental chair waiting for my Novocaine. Uh, reporters had asked Trump about Libya and it was clear he had no idea what the Libyan model of 2003, 2004 was. Here's what Donald Trump, who's supposed to sit down with Kim Jong-un, who understands all of this, here's what Donald Trump said to reporters, and it was just amazing to me. Well, the Libyan model isn't a model that we have at all when we're thinking of North Korea. In Libya, we decimated that country. That country was decimated. There was no deal to keep Gaddafi. The Libyan model that was mentioned was a much different deal. This would be with Kim Jong-un, something where he'd be there, he'd be in his country, he'd be running his country. His country would be very rich. His people are tremendously industrious. If you look at South Korea, this would be really a South Korean model in terms of their industry, in terms of what they do. They're hardworking, incredible people. Uh, but the Libyan model was a much different model. We decimated that country. We never said to Gaddafi, oh, we're going to give you protection. We're going to give you military strength. We're going to give you all of these things. We went in and decimated him. Now, that model would take place if we don't make a deal, most likely. But if we make a deal, I think Kim Jong-un is going to be very, very happy. I really believe he's going to be very happy. But this is just the opposite. And I think when uh, John Bolton made that statement, he was talking about if we're going to be having a problem, because we cannot let that country have nukes. We just can't do it. We just can't do it. Uh, Donald Trump has no idea what the Libyan model is. No, he doesn't appear to at all. This was just terrifying to me when I saw this. Uh, and yes, by the way, we did say that we would protect Gaddafi. He also said in his comments that, you know, that uh, we, we didn't go into Libya uh, or that we went into Libya like we went into Iraq. No, we actually didn't. He has no idea of the, the difference between the Libya model of 2003 and 2004 and what happened in Libya in 2011. He does not know. And we are just days away from a meeting, in theory, with uh, North Korean leader uh, Kim Jong-un. And Trump is clueless. I find that frankly terrifying and also the fact that he says oh if it doesn't work then we'll have the libyan model then we will go in and kill kim jong-un great negotiator jesus all right got to get out uh, my thanks to our producer desi doyan to cliff Schechter of the daily beast my guest today and to you for spending a portion of your day or night with us if you missed any portion of today's show or any other download it anytime for free at bradblog.com you can drop me email if you like. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com. And on the Facebooks and the Twitters, find and follow me at the Brad Blog. And as ever, my thanks to those of you who stopped by bradblog.com slash donate to help us continue to try to do what we do every day over your public airwaves. Let's call it the Libyan model. All right, that's it. Until we meet again, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. <laughs>